Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. Especially. I'm Tasha. <laughs> I'm Gabe. <laughs> so we're on season three, episode five, Tangled. Oh, the tangled webs we weave. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> There's this Disney movie called Tangled. Oh, yeah. It's about fucking Rapunzel who lives up in the tower, you know? Yeah. And her hair is magic. And the stepmom is like... She looks like Moonstruck Cher. I was trying to think... Yes. But she sings this song where she's like, Mother knows best. And so I sing that to the kids all the time. (laughs) The evil mom part. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm just like, but she's not wrong. I mean, she's just like using her powers for evil. Her mom powers. I'll be like, Darla, you need to brush your teeth in the morning and before you go to bed. Mother knows best. (laughs) (laughs) This is where I leave you. It's so good. It's so good. But I love a musical, too. And it's very, like, you know, Disney musical. Yeah. Anyway, that's not what this is. This okay. It's not what cool. this episode is. <laughs> All right. So um, we're the opening scene. There's, like, these two middle-aged couples are kind of, like, stumbling into this apartment building. And they're, like, holding gifts and chatting. And you can tell they're, like, a little tipsy. Mm-hmm. And they're, like, Max. And then all of a sudden they hear something break. One of them calls for Peyton and Max. Peyton? Max? Yeah. <laughs> It's a burglar. Yeah, and the dudes are like, oh, we have weapons. <laughs> and they like have bottles of champagne. So the dudes come around the corner to see Max like duct taped to a chair and he's all bloody and his wife Peyton is laying down on a table tied up. Bet you're not laughing anymore. Steve and <laughs> Patricia. And Claire and David. <laughs> so Benson and Stabler show up. Benson tells Stabler that their friends showed up for a surprise party for Peyton and Max was supposed to keep Peyton out until 10.30. When she was saying that it was a surprise party at 10.30 p.m. Oh, my God. I was like, these people are like older than me. And I was, no. See, it hit my ear when Olivia was like, they had missed their 8 p.m. dinner reservation. And I'm like, who eats dinner at 8 p.m.? I'm already deep into like popcorn and ice cream territory at 8 p.m. You know what I mean? To not seem like an old lady if I make dinner reservations with friends. I'm like, so like 6.30, is that good for you guys? When really it's killing me to not do it at (laughs) 5. Right. Well, 6.30, I feel like is a great time because you eat for like an hour and a half or whatever chit chat Mm -hmm. and it's like eight o'clock perfect time for like getting in your pjs and winding (laughs) down for like four hours before you go to bed (laughs) so the the perp tied peyton up to the table in front of max she was raped while max watched and then peyton had to watch max get beaten to death Mm. which is awful the back door was open and the perp left through the service entrance the door didn't look like it was jimmied or like broken into so he probably pushed his way in and there's like Mm. a pile of trash out in the hallway so like they must have went out to take the trash out and then he that's how he got in yeah there was a ton of food that the guy had set up to eat but probably got like freaked out when the friends came in and took off they cut to the food on the counter and i was like it was marine i know that heavy-handed lettuce on a sandwich anywhere there's too much fucking tomato they had a whole like cutting board with sandwich fixins and stuff Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is psychotic if somebody did that in the middle of committing this awful crime. But also I was like, what? Yeah. I, yeah. Squeeze mayonnaise. Yeah. They got a bag and take everything for DNA. And then in the refrigerator, Peyton's birthday cake had a chunk taken out of it. He had the like fixins, everything set up, but then just like literally like punched a cake, a fistful of cake and like <laughs> ate it. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know what I'm I like, mean? Who is this fucking psycho? For the food stuff alone. I mean, I completely forgot about the trauma that he just created yeah. for this woman. And are you not full from that insane cutting board of food? That ridiculous deli sandwich? Yeah. Do you think he opened their meat drawer and was like, oh, ooh, corned beef. <laughs> what a sick fuck. Look at all that um, fucking turkey. <laughs> they also think that he would have killed Peyton, too, if it wasn't for their friends showing up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're, now we're in the Emmy office with Coroner Warner. She's telling Benson Stambler there are multiple orbital fractures, like a clean break through the zygoma and a shattered mandible. Mm. Max is obviously dead on the, on the slab. The wounds are consistent with being pistol whipped by a semi-automatic. Mm -hmm. um, and she's like, why not just shoot this guy? Because she said he's like, he was pistol whipped like a couple dozen times. Yeah. I had a buddy who got pistol whipped once. Me too. Really? It's actually why I switched from working nights when I delivered pizza. He had a big scar here, but he got pistol whipped in an apartment complex. And he was like, he woke up laying on the ground with like two teenagers. One was had the gun up to his face. And the, <gasps> the other kid was going, just shoot him, just shoot him. Oh my God. Um, and they were just like, were they robbing him? They were robbing all like pizza and money. But oh, like, Jesus. luckily the kid didn't. Yeah. And they just ran off and they never like found him or anything. That's Can you imagine so that? Fun. Waking up to like a gun in your face and these little tiny little baby teenagers somebody under 20 all yeah. fidgety and fucking like all the wires in their brains aren't there yet one of them's got a fear boner because they're in the situation yeah yeah my buddy was selling drugs and he had these dudes that like knew what he had in his apartment or whatever and they i don't know if he was gonna sell to or if there was like some deal going on or whatever but or, or if these guys just like pushed their way into his apartment mm -hmm. but these guys came in they knew where all of his shit was they stole all of his um like drugs and money and whatever after pistol whipping him when they left he was like i don't know how long he laid there for but he was really fucking injured mm -hmm. and he was like I'm not going to fuck around with this. I called the cops. I called the cops. And I was like, I know you guys don't expect me to call. And I know those guys don't expect me to call. But I'm in here selling drugs. And these guys just almost killed me. Right. So. Did he get in trouble? I don't remember what happened to that. I just remember him telling me the story when I was like, God, what was I, 18 or something? So he got pistol whipped by a semi-automatic. Corner Warner's like, why not just shoot the guy? So the texture and size of the markings... Um, from the gun are similar to a Ruger P94 9mm. She also found some hairs on the duct tape adhesive, maybe from a dog or a cat. Mm -hmm. And Peyton and Max don't have pets. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that's a lead. Mm -hmm. um, he's got these scars, too, on his chest, and it looks like he had a bypass about a year ago. Mm -hmm. Benson and Stabler are in the hospital room with Peyton. And she's telling them what happened that night. And she's such a good actress. She would be the perfect woman to be cast as Kirsten Dunst's mom in like any movie. Oh, yeah. When I saw her, I was like, oh, wow. She looks like a 20 years older than Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst. Mm. Her husband, Max, went to take the garbage out. And when he came back in, a man in a ski mask had a gun to his head. Mm. She says she can't really describe him. He's just like average. She doesn't even remember the eye color or anything. You know, just like a dude, regular fucking dude. He threw a roll of duct tape at her and made her tie up Max. He then tied her to the table. He hit Max a lot and would stop and rape her and then start beating up Max again. She's really upset, obviously, and was like, Max was trying so hard to get free. And she felt like it went on for hours, which it did. It went on for like two hours, didn't it? Yeah, I don't, I don't remember how long yeah. they said. Then Max stopped struggling. Ugh, she's so good at acting. Mm. 
Stabler mentions that there was a lockbox that was broken into. She said that 10 to 15K was in there and her jewelry box with her grandma's jewelry was in there. They want her to describe the pieces of jewelry to a sketch artist. Stabler asked if the perp said anything that would allude to possibly knowing her or her husband, mm-hmm. but dude didn't say anything the entire time, which just like somehow makes us even more fucked up, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, Huang talks about why that's more fucked up later. Yeah. Which I found really interesting, but we'll get there. So Munch and Toots are outside of Max and Peyton's building. They're talking to the doorman who has the best accent, and I'm going to butcher the shit out of it right now. Because they're like, oh, know anybody, know anything? And he's like, I had some trouble a while back with a homeless guy. Kept sneaking in behind cars as they entered the garage. They're thinking that he gave the dude a key and knew when the tenants would be gone, just based on like the timing and like when this guy wasn't at work. Mm-hmm. And he laughs at them. And it's, they came for this doorman pretty quick, which I thought was crazy. We've yeah. never seen that before. Usually they're like, you're the middleman, like, like you know, or like protector. You're <laughs> our entry into like really getting an understanding of our next steps here. But instead they're like, oh yeah maybe you were blah 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 blah. they never do that with the doorman Mm -hmm. so they immediately imply like oh maybe you did this and he goes if you're looking at me for this you must have gone to detective school in a special yellow bus so i'm gonna help you out here toots is like you do that (laughs) yeah okay yes do that while back this guy comes looking for the doctor crazy pissed toots is like you get his name? No, it was months ago. He looks at Toots like, who remembers these kinds of fucking details? And off camera, Toots looks at him like, you'd be fucking surprised, guy. <laughs> Anybody, you know you're on SVU, right? Right. So the guy continues, so I buzzed the doctor. He got all nervous. He said to call the police if he didn't leave. Said the doctor was a mad scientist. Ruined his life. So this is a lead, this guy. Yeah. Because this Max is a dick doctor. Yep. Now we're at the St. Paul's Hospital. Benson and Stabler are looking for the chief of urology. And the front desk lady, Laura, calls down Dr. Carr. They ask her about anyone like patients causing a scene because of Max or anything like that. She remembers a dude from the doctor's impotency clinical trials. Martin something. Also, Laura, the front desk lady, reminds me of Rashida Jones. Just her bone structure. Mm, I don't see it. I didn't see it until later. Mm. When her... Anyway, I don't want to say that because then that gives away like that she's in it because she could just be nobody right now. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, she didn't strike me as anybody who was going to be of any importance. I I was like, oh, that extra is really pretty. I didn't even think of her. I didn't even think she was really pretty or anything. That she was. That's what I think threw me off because I felt like she was so average. She just seemed like an extra. Like look at this plain ass bitch. (laughs) I know what a cunt. God, (laughs) I'm like, I didn't even think she was pretty. So she wasn't important. (laughs) Just like in life. Yeah. She's going to go check the files for the dude's name when Dr. Carr rolls up. He's not only wearing a bow tie, but a cartoonishly fluffed up bow tie. It's (sighs) twice the size of a normal, I'm a dressy dude bow tie. I didn't even notice that. Gabe, it was... It you're, looked like I think you're about to scold me for that. <laughs> it looked like this. Look at yeah. And then he's like, "Well, I'll see you guys later." <laughs> <laughs> Flies away with it. <laughs> he goes, "I've got a meeting in the North Wing. You mind walking with me?" Do they mind? <laughs> These detectives live for a walk and talk. Stabler even goes, "I mean, <laughs> you mean a walk and talk?" Yeah, they really are interested in getting their steps in for the day. I tell you that much. 
As they're walking and talking, Dr. Carr tells them that Max specializes in sexual urology, incontinence, penile implants, and impotence. He mm-hmm. was working on an anti-impotency cream. They asked if he knows about a Martin dude that caused a stink. He says he can't comment on any medical or legal cases. He tries to excuse himself to this meeting, but Benson's like, look, if you know anything that can help us find Max's killer, you gotta tell us. (laughs) And all he can say is that every person who was in Max's trials suffered extreme physical impotence, and these dudes were out of options before they even did the trials. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. I mean, it does. I do think about how much effort's been put into dudes getting hard dicks, though, compared to like other things. So I'm just like, I'm immediately an asshole about it. Right. You know, Dr. Carr thought they were going to lose Max because of this heart condition he had, but he made it through bypass surgery and his darling wife, Peyton, nursed him back to health. Like Dr. Carr was like, oh, Peyton just took care of his every need. She was so good. Yeah. Yeah. On their way out, the woman they talked to at the front desk, Laura, said the dude's name was Martin Welker, and she had made them copies of the files. Yeah. And at this point, I was like, oh, she's very helpful. Too helpful? (laughs) (laughs) Gabe, everyone's a suspect to you. I know they are. And then, like, I I call everybody out, and then if one of them's right, I'm like, called it! So now we're in the squad room. Huang's like, this is all about control, power, and humiliation. Total sadistic behavior. Mm-hmm. So this guy needs to inflict pain to get excited. Okay, he said that like the victims, the people in the mm-hmm. situation are trying to find any clue they can to get out of it. Just to survive. Yeah, and the dude not talking gives them nothing. It's an intentional sensory deprivation. Mm-hmm. I've never thought of that before. And then I was like, well, good night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One more thing to fucking wrap around in my melon yeah if you're in one of those situations and you're just like scanning him and the everything for like how do i survive and right yeah you're giving try, nothing like, to hold on to for hope like mm-hmm. ooh, yeah ooh, or like he doesn't say anything where you can find an opening to be like oh maybe i can you know cater to his whatever maybe he's he comes off as needy or he's you know whatever like yeah like something to latch on to i just imagine how quickly your brain is like Trying to in a survival out, like, situation. Yeah. yeah. Oof. So Kragen wonders if this dude is a sociopath. I mean, I think the sandwich and the cake thing is pretty. Those things alone. Psycho. <laughs> this guy probably pours water on his cereal. I bet you anything. <laughs> Fucking psycho. <laughs> or like orange juice or whatever those people do. Ugh. Those people. Those fucking psychos. Um, There's somebody listening and they're like, I just do it to save calories. I'm lactose intolerant. I don't like the way that nut milks taste. <laughs> okay, so Huang's assessment is that they need to look for someone who has a history of violating the rights of others, who's like numb to the world and has aggressive sex, does drugs and fights. Benson and Stabler pop into the group with the file. So apparently this Martin dude stopped in the 12th week of the impotency trials because he was arrested by Brooklyn SVU for attempted rape. He attacked a 30-year-old woman in the subway and then kicked the shit out of the two dudes who tried to help her. So Craig and sends Munch and Toots off to see the dude. And when they fucking roll up on this guy, Martin Welk, I was like, mm-hmm. this fucking dude? He beat the shit out of two guys. Like, he was so... He's a scrapper, I guess. I don't know. I mean, cocaine is a hell of a drug. So. <laughs> 
I mean, who knows? Yeah. So Martin Welk, he's on the streets. He's washing some windows. I like typed that on purpose. I just wanted to say Warshin. Warshin. <laughs> I thought you said Martin Welk, and then I imagined the Lawrence Welk show, and then I saw Kristen Wiig with the tiny hands. Yeah. Do 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 do. And I'm Judy. <laughs> and I'm. But it's Judy. not. Uh, so he's washing some windows when Munch and Toots walks up. He says he didn't kill Max. He's like, I was that group. I was assuming it was anger management group or whatever, because uh, he said he bottles shit up and gets ulcers. And then I was like, see how we raise our men? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's but true. It's true. Actual physical shit happens to a body who's like holding stuff in, like ulcers mm-hmm. and shit, you know? Yeah. So they're like, hey, um, remember that attempted rape? And he's like, yeah. He says it wasn't his fault. The Dr. Max didn't tell him about the side effects of the impotency drug trials. He said that before the cream, he couldn't even talk to a woman. So he spent six months in prison and was mad that Max didn't tell the jury about the side effects. He's like, oh. he's like he didn't have to lie. He should just tell him it wasn't me. It was the effects of the drug. Mm-hmm. Instead, he told the jury that he had violent tendencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martin filed lawsuits against the hospital and the pharmaceutical company. He didn't against Max, though, because it turns out he was broke, which was is interesting. Mm-hmm. The doctor was broke. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So Munch and Toots are at the office of Warner Mason CPA. This is Max's accountant. They're threatening to subpoena his records. Warner mentions Max's heart condition and that no medical malpractice company would cover him even before his bypass surgery because he was so a risk Mm -hmm. because of his heart, whatever. He had to protect his assets, so he moved everything into his wife Peyton's name, about $5 million of hidden assets. Which I was like, damn. And then this guy's like, dude, Max had some trouble with his son, Jesse, from his first marriage. They had to cut off his trust fund last week. Jesse had been estranged for quite some time, and Max caught Jesse trying to break into their apartment and steal some of his stepmom's jewelry. Hmm. And I think it's important to note that uh, Jesse and Max had been estranged ever since Max married Peyton. Hmm. Benson Stabler pop over to Peyton's house. She's apologizing to them for having to come out um, so far and feels like she's inconveniencing everybody. And then I'm like, for some reason, I don't trust her. And I'm like, I want to call it. She's boning Jesse and this was planned. That's literally what I called. God, I'm cocky in my notes. Um, Stabler asks her about her stepson and she's like, well, well, geez, I haven't seen him in a few years. But he didn't even go to Max's funeral, which sucks. Mm. She didn't go to, he didn't go to his own dad's funeral. Yeah. She's like, he did not break into our apartment. He has a key. She's a little defensive, no protective sounding of Jesse. Yeah. She's like, he, he has a key. They've been estranged, but he's always welcome. Mm-hmm. And she's like, there's no way. No. Benson was like, your attacker was average height and build. How would you describe Jesse? And it fades to black. And I'm like, duh. It's yeah. called average height and build. I know. It's the most vague description that you can give. Did your attacker have any unique qualities? No, neither did Jesse. I know. It's like. What? It's called average because it's the majority yeah. of dudes are that. Proved to us that he wasn't average. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're in Jesse's dorm. Munch and Toots are talking to his roommate. This fucking dude looks like the older brother from the Wonder Years. Oh, Yeah. Okay, mm. thank you. You see that? Did you mm-hmm. see that? This kid is like, well, at least his dad isn't searching through his things and violating his 
basic human rights, like a fucking dorky, like college kid. <laughs> and this kid's going to be in law school and knows a thing or two. And Munch is like, oh, are you taking a civics class or something? And he's got one of those like weird mugs. Remember that? We all had them. It had like the mugs oh, that had fluid. water. It had like, yeah, yeah, where you could freeze it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He's like, just leave a fucking card. Stop going mm-hmm. through his shit. Yeah. This guy really wanted them to know that he knew his rights. Yeah. Which I say that with like a dickheaded tone, but like <laughs> that's we should all know our rights. So if we're in a situation where I cops know. push too hard, we can be like, no, that's not. Yeah. yeah. Look at me. I'm just like, I know. This fucking like, guy, I know my rights. Do you? Do you know your rights? <laughs> Show off. <laughs> I know. The show really puts you on the side of like these cops and they do a lot of fucked up shit. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Uh, and then you're like, yeah, get him. Right. Not legally. <laughs> You're like, yeah, we can all see that your assumptions are correct because we also have assumptions. Lock them up. <laughs> Death uh, to all of them. Wendy Williams. Sorry. Go ahead. Munch and Toots. They're like, dude, you could be charged as, a, as an accessory if there's like drugs or something in here. The guy's like, we don't do drugs. And then Munch is like, if he's not snorting his family's money, where's it all going? And the kid gets all nervous. And apparently, like, that's the thing that makes him spill. Mm -hmm. He, like, straight up tells them where he is. (laughs) Yeah. So now they're at the racetrack. Munch and Toots see Jesse with a pile of cash. And he's all nervous. And he's, like, trying to play some bets. Right. The seller cashier guy takes one look at Munch and Toots and is like, hey, kid, where's your ID? Because Munch and Toots always hard look like police. Yeah. They're like standing 10 feet away. They could have just been two dudes like waiting to place a bet. Mm-hmm. But really between Toots's like leather duster he wears all the time and Munch's ever growing Carmen Sandiego brimmed hat. The guy's like, oh, these are 100% cops. So this kid's like obviously been placing underage bets like all day in the cashier. Dude was like, not at my booth. You haven't. Yeah. Shifty eyes. Yeah. Jesse loses it and starts pounding on the window and he's like, take my freaking bet. And then uh, Munch grabs his money, which I thought was crazy. I'm just grabbing some dude's money. And the kid was like, hey, that's my money. (laughs) (laughs) And then Toots flashes a badge. So he's like, we're police. We can take your money. (laughs) Jesse's in interrogation room while Cragen is on the other side of the glass in his ice fishing shanty. He's like, (laughs) (laughs) he's Cragen's like uh, drugs I get. But the ponies, you really see that leading to rape homicide. And then he caught a big one and he's like, whoa. (laughs) Huang, Benson, and Stabler are there. Huang says that if Jesse is a compulsive gambler, he lacks impulse control. So that kind of ties into maybe it being him. Jesse started stealing from his parents when he was like 14. So this kind of checks out. Um, Stabler says he probably started gambling on football games and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then Huang asks Stabler if he's a gambler. And Stabe says, only with birth control. (laughs) Like elbowing whoever's next to him. Right. (laughs) Another thing that Huang said was that 6% of kids 18 and younger have serious gambling problems, which I didn't know that. Why would I know that? But fun fact. Yeah. Gambling has never really been on my radar for anything. I don't. No, because then... I don't like uh, a casino. It's like, if I do go to a casino, I have like a $20 rule. I'm like... That's what I do too. No, I I don't like casino. It's like living in a pinball machine. It's just too much. It's like Mm -hmm. too much. My friend Katie will go into a casino and you can like feel her energy... Let's do this. Yeah. You, like you can feel yeah. it coming off of her. And I'm sort of like, when this 20 bucks is gone, can we leave? Yeah, it's exactly. That's we'd be great at a casino. We'd be like, where's the buffet? <laughs> 
<laughs> I do love a good bingo hall, though. No, bingo's a different yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. That's I used fun. to go to the VFW with my friend Amber. Yeah. It's not like gambling. We are the oldest of old ladies. I have never <laughs> felt mutually as old as I have with you r- right now. We're both like, dinner needs to happen before 6 p.m. I like to crawl in bed before the sun goes down. And a good game of bingo really has me going. <laughs> oh, fuck. Okay. So Stabler and Munch walk into the interrogation room and you hear Stabler's first words are, hey, roller, huh? I was laughing so hard about that for some reason. I was like, Stabler is just a fucking national goddamn treasure. Like, oh, he is. I know. Hi, roller, huh? You're like, <laughs> you're so great. So Jesse said his parents made him start gambling. Stabler was like, um, your parents forced you to gamble? Yeah. And he's like, my mom and stepmom are like charity junkies and the biggest fundraiser gimmick is casino nights. And his mom like always organized the game since he was like 12 and would give him like a little bushel of chips and tell him to go have fun which i'm like that's not forcing you to gamble no that's just being like have fun kid you know what i mean that's not uh, that's that's for for someone who doesn't have a problem with it that just is like a thing to include a kid anyway in high school he made poker games da 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 and then he would go to atlantic city when he was older and staves is like you got to be 21 to get into those casinos and jesse's like i never had any trouble so he's about a hundred thousand dollars in the hole with his bookie and he kind of looks off and goes i'm probably gonna get my legs broken you know rocky started out as a goon for a loan shark Mm, okay yeah whatever yeah benson wonders if the bookie went after his parents but he says it's a first name business and the guy wouldn't know who his parents were. After he got caught by Max for trying to break in, he asked them for help, but they didn't believe him and thought that he was on drugs. Benson asked where he was Tuesday night. That was the night that Max was killed. Stabler accuses him of going back for money and got even with his dad, Max. And Jesse's like, no, 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 no. Just then Jesse's lawyer walks in. So we're in the squad room. Stabler is pissed and wants to know why, quote, the dragon lady showed up when Jesse hadn't asked for attorney. I fucking hate that. I hate, I hate that. We Mm -hmm. all know why I hate that. I'm moving on. (laughs) Jesse's biological mother called the lawyer and she's in with Cragen. He's like, grab a pole. (laughs) No, wait, he actually does say that later in the episode. (laughs) Does he? Oh my God, he does. Remember? Okay. Yeah. Remember? Never. This is perfect that I called it an ice shanty then. That's like an accidental like callback. Love. <laughs> oh, Munch is like, hey, so that like super mad Martin Welk guy, Max's patient, his DNA cleared him. So he's off the, we never see him again. Right. Now we're in Craigan's ice shanty. <laughs> Benson and Stabler walking to see Jesse's mom like, shut up. <laughs> you shut up. <laughs> no. <laughs> you leaned in you're like you shut up (laughs) jesse's mom is chewing out craig and she's like i put max through medical school and as soon as he became a doctor he abandoned me and jesse Mm. it's a classic whatever tale as old as time yeah craig introduces benson sabler to her her name is marilyn dunlap she's like yeah yeah whatever do you have any idea how much i give to the police athletic league does she mean the sex crime softball team yeah and then craig's hard eye rolling and sabler's like yeah this isn't like a um like a speeding ticket like there was a rape homicide so Mm. you know we're gonna have a bit of a problem with that marilyn's like jesse had nothing to do with it and as far as resentment you need to be talking to max's wife Peyton, hers is good and raw. She says that ever since Max's heart attack, he's been nailing anything that moved. They're like, How did Peyton know? And she's like, I fucking told her. And they were like, Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I don't have a problem with them. I just have a problem with Max. So they want to list the names of the people Max has been boning. She knows for a fact one of his boss's secretary, that Laura lady that gave him the file, mm-hmm. that's one of the women. That front desk gal. The unpretty girl. 
Yep. So now we're at the hospital. It is her. She said they had a fling after his heart surgery. After he healed up, he was like funny and sexy and acting like a teenager again. But it had ended months ago, but they were still friends. Mm-hmm. So Benson wants to know who he was sleeping with when he was killed or like who he slept with after. So it's this chick named Judy Trehill in radiology. Judy, Judy, Judy. <laughs> she goes, I'm a married woman detective. My vagina has been spackled shut for years. They're like, what are you trying to say? <laughs> They're like, do you, oh, do you think your husband's jealous? And she's like, he doesn't even, he doesn't care enough to be jealous or I wouldn't have cheated on him. She says that Peyton was the opposite, cared too much. And I was just like, oh my God, women can't do anything right. Yeah. Women can't be, are never going to live up to anything. No. Women just can't. Yep. Well, he was healing from his surgery. Peyton waited on him hand and foot and made him, made him, made no. him feel like an invalid. Fuck you. She didn't yeah. make him feel anything. She literally kept her husband from fucking dying. Like, fuck we you. We can find every way to blame each other. Like, yeah, we can make anything the woman's fault. Anyway, Peyton cared too much. She made him feel like an invalid. Because she's like, hey, you had a heart surgery. Can I get you anything? Yeah. <laughs> you He's know, like, God, God, Peyton, you're so needy. I'm like what? She said that they had fucked around for like one weekend, like six months ago. And he had slept with a nurse in neo- neonatal, but was that was over before anything really happened because Peyton came for a surprise visit and she fucking slapped the nurse when she caught them flirting. And I was yeah. like, okay, damn, damn, Peyton. You should have slapped your husband. No shit. Yeah. You should have slapped your husband. Exactly. Yeah. We're in the squad room. Benson, Stabler, and Munch are doing a little walk and talk and talking about how Max threw his dick around all over the place and how he abruptly stopped. Benson says after his close call, he found a way to cover his tracks. Craig and fucking tuck and rolls out of an empty train car behind them and just casually walks up to make this incredible segue. Speaking of tracks, we've been following the wrong one. Boom. Like he says it and they react as if it's a normal thing for someone to say and not high five each other. <laughs> right. Like that was perfect. That was perfect timing. You walked up. You have that. Did you just have that? Like, no. <laughs> yeah. They're just like, yep. Okay. Got Gotta it. get out of the right track. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse gave his DNA and he's not the guy either. Jesse is the son. If we forgot, I don't know. I forgot. Toots got the LUDs on Max's cell phone. Last month, he had about a thousand minutes to Laura Todd, the boss's secretary. (laughs) Minutes. Remember those (laughs) cell phones? (laughs) Sorry, I can't call till after nine. I'm out of minutes. (laughs) But Laura was like, oh, I thought that affair ended months ago. And then at this point, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm calling it. It's the boss. <laughs> he was having an affair with Laura and got jealous is what I'm thinking. And then Cragen goes, well, I doubt he was calling her for urine results. Go talk to her. That's so fucking gross. Like, I mean, what in the actual fuck? Like he nailed it with the tr- the tracks tuck and roll thing. And yeah. it comes in with like, he's not she's not there to get pissed. So go talk to her. <laughs> <laughs> I get it, though. You miss you miss every swing you don't take. OK, I mean, Maybe he thought he was on a roll, yeah. (laughs) You know, batting a thousand doesn't really exist, but a 300 is pretty good. (laughs) It just was fucked up. I just thought it was weird. I was like, what are you? Okay. Okay. In Laura's building, Benson's making a bet with Stabler that Laura will say that he called to cry on her shoulder. 
good friends my ass, right? Yeah. They get to the front door and there's a fresh bloody hand smear on it and the doors open. So they're like, with guns drawn, they slowly open the door and enter the apartment. Benson's calling her name, but she's not answering. They go into the bedroom and she's tied to the bed with duct tape over her mouth. She's alive, but then Benson sees her and goes, oh my God, in the same exact voice I use when I walk in and see that my kids like dumped Legos out or something. Like <laughs> it was, it was a really, like, oh my God. <laughs> so now we're in the hospital, uh, Benson pays a visit to Laura. She's pretty beat up. She doesn't know who did it. She never saw his face. She was coming in the door of her apartment after work and this dude pushed in behind her and he raped her multiple times. Benson asked Laura to be straight with her about seeing Max. She knew that the newspapers would make Max out to be super sleazy and she thought he deserved better than that. So she kind of like, you know, didn't say that they were still seeing each other. Mm-hmm. And Max's wife, Peyton, didn't know about it to the very end, about their affair. Three days before Max was killed, Peyton showed up at Laura's apartment building and told Laura that if she didn't stop seeing Max, she would ruin both their lives. So now we're like, okay, it's Peyton doing some shit. So we're, we're at Craigan's office, Benson in her cute hair and makeup and outfit and face. <laughs> I don't know. I just saw her and I was like, everything is so cute about her. Oh, I just adore her. Yeah. Benson and Stabler are lightning in a bottle. Yep. So she's like, we might have a problem with Peyton. And Stabler's in there too. Mm-hmm. He could see her being upset. Oh, and then there's Munch. <laughs> Oh, and then there's Munch. Yeah. Munch thinks it was a phony rape. I hate this shit. Like, let's remind everybody about the 2%. 2% of those reported. So if all rapes were reported, imagine how low that percentage would actually be. Yeah. But he does bring up one of our favorite season two episodes taken when that girl falsely reported to get money from the hotel. I just like that he was like, hey guys, remember this episode? Wasn't it good? And we're like, yeah. That was a really good. But also shut up, Munch. Yeah. Benson says that Laura and Max were beaten to a pulp and Peyton only had minor injuries oh and then toots is in there too <laughs> just the camera keeps moving and then there he says that it's odd if it's the same perk so the rape kit hasn't come back yet but all three victims had tabby cat hair on it tabby cat tabby cat so they're looking for that none of peyton's jewelry has shown up in any pawn shops they've checked and if it is staged as a robbery peyton probably still has it the jewelry so Craigan says they have to do this by the book because Peyton can afford good attorneys. There's so many things I hate about that statement. You know, mm-hmm. like you should always be doing shit by the fucking book, whatever. They don't have enough for a warrant of Peyton's apartment. Craigan tells them to, quote, go fishing. <laughs> <laughs> so have Cabot go through financials and, and, quote, grab a pole. And then I'm like, dude's back on top after the whole urine thing. <laughs> And I'm like, Craigan, bro, it's only episode five. We've got all season for these. <laughs> he's got like four already. Yeah, he's like, time to go fishing. Grab a pole. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're at Sutton Place Bank. Munch and Toots get all of Max and Peyton's financials. The bank lady and Peyton sit on a few of the same committees, and the bank lady really liked Peyton and Max. Peyton mm-hmm keeps a safety deposit box, but the subpoena doesn't cover that. Munch asked the lady, can you check to see uh, the last time that she opened it? And she's like, I don't have to. And I thought that was the end of the sentence. Yeah, where she's like, fuck you, I don't have to do shit, you know? (laughs) But really, she was like, I don't have to. Peyton was in a few days prior to Max being killed because she had taken out some gorgeous Tiffany jewelry. Peyton told her that Max wanted her to wear it to some fire and ice ball next week. Mm -hmm. And when I heard that, I imagined Blades of Glory when fucking Will Ferrell and John, was it John Hedder? 
John Heater. What's his name? John Heder. Was that the kid from fucking Napoleon, Napoleon Dynamite? Dynamite? Anyway, so Peyton's going to go to this fire and ice ball with her husband. It was going to be their first major event together since his surgery. And this lady's like, oh, like she had anything. How many times have you interacted with this lady? Yeah, she's been bumming pretty hard about it. Yeah, she seemed. I'm surprised you weren't considering the fact that she may have been involved in something. I'm like, you up calling it. It's her. It's the bank. Like. <laughs> Really, really over the top with her fucking grief. Oh God, that's such a shitty. Maybe thing to being say. such a dick. Like maybe she's just an empath, and I'm like, I know. It's like, chill out, Carol. You work at the bank. You barely even know them. People get to feel however they feel, even yes, imaginary people. They do. <laughs> Okay, so Munch and Toots are doing a little walk and talk. Munch thinks Peyton took out the jewelry for insurance fraud. That's like his guess. But Toots is like, she's super rich. Like, why would she do that? And he's and Munch says that you can never be too thin or too rich and points out 10K in cash was taken out eight days before the murder happened. And Toots is like, could be enough for a hitman. And Munch is mm-hmm. like, let's hope it's enough for a warrant. Right. So we're at Peyton's apartment. Benson and Sabler serve her a warrant to search her apartment. She doesn't seem to understand what's going on. And but like a bunch of cops file in. Mm-hmm. When Stabler sees Benson looking through Max and Peyton's photo album, he says, hey, the bread box rule, if a container could not possibly hold the item in question, you were prohibited from examining it. Since when does Stabler give a shit about that? I don't know. I hate when they cherry pick these fucking rules. It's like this doesn't even match your character. Right. So Stabler finds a little cigar box full of cigars and jewelry. Stabler like fists this pile of jewelry <laughs> and he's like, try smoking this. <laughs> it was so good. Just like a white knuckled fist of costume jewelry. We're going to have to start giving out like number one dad mugs between him and Craig in this episode. Oh my God. We're in the squad room. Uh, Benson and Stabler are escorting Peyton through the precinct. Peyton sees Laura sitting there talking to Munch and there's like this weird stare down between them. Peyton's like, what is she doing here? Benson makes her keep walking. It pans over to Laura and she said to Munch, did I do okay? She looks crazy. At this point, I'm like, oh my God, there's still 15 minutes left in the episode. Laura has to be the twist. Is Peyton being framed? What's happening? I was all over the place with this episode. Like, Yeah, you shit. really wanted know. to know what was going on. <laughs> yeah. So we're in Cragen's office. Peyton's in there instead of an interrogation room because she's rich, I'm guessing. Mm. Is this what buy the book means? <laughs> So Peyton is pissed for them coming into her home and tearing it apart. And fucking Cragen apologizes, even though they had a fucking warrant. Like, have you ever heard them apologize for, like, looking through their stuff when they have a warrant? Never. No, they would be like, just let us do our job, ma'am. Yeah, and Cragen says, if you were almost anybody else, you'd have been arrested for insurance fraud. And I'm like, fucking arrest her then. Mm -hmm. Whatever. So she doesn't know how her jewelry ended up in the cigar If you were almost anybody else. If it was another rich white lady, you same boat same boat yeah get your fishing pole right <laughs> duh that's what i say duh too i'm like duh <laughs> J- josh jumped on the joke duh <laughs> it's like that's so that's so stupid of me i think like hearing it coming out of your mouth i was like tasha's right this is duh <laughs> So Craigan said her jewelry became an issue when she filed a false claim. She insists that she didn't. Her and Max's business manager take care of those things, and she doesn't understand why Laura is sitting out there. Craigan tells her that she was raped, and they think it's by the same man who raped and killed her husband. Mm. Craigan asks why she withdrew 10K eight days before her husband was killed. He's trying to be like, did you hire a hitman? And she's like, it was so Max wouldn't know that I hired a private investigator. Mm-hmm. That's how she found out about Laura. 
I was like, yeah. oh, oh my God. Now we're on the street. Munch taps on the window of this car. There's like this fucking Steven Seagal looking guy sitting in the front seat. Like this bitch is wearing sunglasses. Like the hair slicked back into what I can only imagine is a fucking ponytail. And the dude's <laughs> fucking name is Ken Volts. Yeah. Ken Volts. Fucking Jeremy is back in the writing room. <laughs> I fucking love you. I can't wait for us to finally get married. Oh, my God. Okay. I was just going to stay quiet and let you have it. But this guy is fucking Tom Papa on his best day. I don't know who that is. This guy. You have it up already? I did. I, I pulled see. it up to show you. Oh, I, I love this guy. You do? Yeah. The comedian? Yeah. Tom Papa? Yeah, he's yeah. funny. He's a, Whenever he's in shit, it's, it always makes me laugh because he's a comedian. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, that's, but then you... That's what they do. <laughs> He's doing his job. So then I realized after a second, it's not slick back his hair. He's like horse shoe balding in the window glass. Just the window, the shine from the window threw me off. I thought it was, it was, he's bald. <laughs> he's a horseshoe. Yeah. Anyways, he's got this, what? Just you getting there. <laughs> so he hands Munch the Peyton Max case toots literally just like climbs in the front seat and dude's like dude i'm on the clock like get out of here and then mm-hmm. months just climbs in the back toots asks him if he owns a cat and he's like two dogs jack russell's i'm like i fucking love this guy yeah they ask if peyton maybe hired him to kill her husband he's like i don't eliminate husbands i just put them in piping hot water his voice sounds like that dude that slept on the couch and half baked oh um, uh Stephen Wright. right yep it's hard to do that yeah it's like he's kind of got it back here i don't eliminate husbands I just put him in piping hot water. Mm-mm. No. no, I just put him close. in. He says his art. This is what I wrote. I just put him in piping hot water. <laughs> I'm going to eliminate husbands. I just put him in piping hot water. <laughs> That's exactly what he sounded like. Okay. Berries and cream. Berries and cream. <laughs> So the the night Max was killed, he was on a case. He's got all the toll receipts. This guy says he was on... Ken Volts said he was on Max for two weeks, but says all he needed was two days because it was pretty clear he was having an affair. Mm -hmm. But he's thorough. Right. He stops talking to take pics with this fucking gigantic camera. Yeah. (laughs) It was like a telescope on a Nikon. (laughs) Right. And camera people are like, that's a zoom lens. It's like, we know, but it was the kind of camera where he had to go and then plop it onto the window. Yeah. So Munch and Toots do a walk and talk and they're comparing pics of Max and Laura from the private eye. So there's a guy in the background of two different pics and he looks like he's eyeballing Max. Mm -hmm. Right. So we go to Laura's place. Benson Sabler asks her if she's seen the man in the pics. She's like, yeah, it's a guy who lives in her building named Vincent. She says he's harmless. Benson Stabler go down and knock on Vincent's door. Stabler thinks that maybe Max was killed for his connection with Laura. And maybe it's been Laura the whole time. Like, that's the focus of this guy. Mm-hmm. Vincent opens the door and, oh, my God, there's a little freaking tabby cat at the door. Mm-hmm. He slams the door in their face and won't answer any questions. And I knew I recognized this dude. He played Freeze in Party Monster. The other dude who killed Angel with Michael Alec. You know what? I've only seen that movie like one time when it came out. I need to watch it again. Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah he played Freeze Riggs, who, along with um, Macaulay Culkin, killed Angel. Right. Anyway, he just looked really familiar. And I was like, I know I fucking know him from somewhere. Like his face. And uh, like his face. Uh, and it was from that. 
I've seen his face and body before. So now we're in the squad room. Kragen's got a whiteboard set up with all the players' picks on it. So Kragen tells everyone that Vincent was in jail for robbery and assault. The rape kits came back. The same man who raped Lara also raped Peyton. So every time he says something about someone, he like writes an arrow to them from like mm-hmm. the other person. He's like, so Laura, and then he writes an arrow to Peyton. There's not a direct connection to Peyton though. Did she run into him at Laura's apartment and hire him to kill Max? Arrow. Mm-hmm. Laura said she didn't really know Vincent. Did he think he was in a relationship with her? Stabler says that they see lots of stalkers that think like that. Toots thinks that maybe Vincent saw Max with Laura and thinks he's being wronged and wants revenge. And Peyton got caught in the crossfire. Cabot comes in, looks at Cragen's whiteboard and goes, a lot of arrows you got there. Ha! <laughs> she just, it was just funny because she, I thought it was hilarious. The only thing connecting all three victims is the cat hair. And Cragen draws a little kitty face in the I middle know. of the pics. He's like, <laughs> maybe it's. It was cute. Why? It was just a cute little he's like, kitty. He's like, you know when you get new dry erase markers and you're like, I just have to like do all the details. <laughs> Cabot says that she only knows of two other cases where they used cat DNA in court. And Craigan goes, let's make it three. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised he didn't make some nine lives cat comment. He's like, let's make it nine divided by three, nine lives, three of uh, more than two. Mm, grab your pole. <laughs> grab your pole. <laughs> now we're at Vincent's apartment. The super landlord lets Munch, Toots, and Stabler in to collect the cat. Toots says he doesn't see a cat, and Munch says that doesn't mean anything. They're freaky little creatures. They lurk. And so, like, no truer words mm. have ever been truthed. Mm. Thank you, Munch. I can like him solely on that statement, and I fucking mean it, Tasha. Yes. I really do. If we can agree on nothing else with Munch, we can agree on that. Neither one of us are cat people. Mm-mm. Sorry, cat lovers. Cover Muffin's ears. We fucking don't like cats. Yeah, I don't know. They're fine. And don't DM us about like your personal relationship with your cat. Your cat is probably great. It's just I mean, not. It's, it's not, but I believe that you believe that. You get to have whatever relationship. If your cat is like especially sweet and kind. And some people like the fact that their dogs are needy and cats are independent. And I like that. It's like, I like that in a person, but in my dog, I need my dog to be a little needy. Yeah. I want us to like interact and be like best friends. Yeah. Stabler goes to check on Laura and, and Toots is literally saying, here, pussy, pussy. Oh my God. It was fucking weird. Pussy. Yeah, pussy, pussy. And then fucking Coco comes in the room and is like, hey, what's up? Ew. <laughs> All right. And Munch ends up finding the fucking cat. Yeah. Vincent Stabler pop up to Laura's apartment. Laura's answers the door looking even more beat to shit. We're like, what the fuck happened here? Mm-hmm. She says nothing happened. Benson's like, dude, we know about Vincent and that he follows you and is like, possessive. We don't think you're safe here. And Laura just doe eyes stares at her. She doesn't have anywhere to go. So Benson's going to take her to a woman's shelter near where she works. So now we're in the crime lab. Cabot and Stabler are talking to a zoological geneticist, and he's super irritated with what a pain this has been. I can't with this fucking dude. I know. First of all, he wishes he was chubby John Favreau. Okay, yeah. 
You're not. Yes. Yes. He's like, do you know that blah, 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 blah. Benson's like, so can you get it done by today? And he throws a fit. But then he says, yeah, I got it. It's your it's your cat. Like, really, dude, you actually like this is going to take days. And then you're like, just kidding. I have it. Yeah. He, he was like pissed that he had to do his job. I don't understand. He was like giving them shit. Yeah. The, this guy's energy is one of the many reasons I hate about being attracted to men. Just like... <laughs> Being a dick and acting put out and dramatic just to make sure that they know he's put out. Mm-hmm. I've never heard anybody talk to Benson or Cabot like that. No. And this guy in particular has serious <laughs> man cold energy. Yep. So Cabot tells Benson to pick up Vincent and she'll bootstrap a warrant. So now we're at Vincent's apartment. Benson and Stabler are walking up the stairs and they haven't, they've, they fear, <laughs> God, they hear a gunshot. <laughs> They walk in and see Laura standing over Vincent with a fucking gun. What timing? I know. She's like, oh my God, I had to. Vincent wouldn't stop. They're trying to get the gun from her because she's like a little dazed, you know? Mm-hmm. They cuff her. And Stabler says the gun is that Ruger P94. Yeah. P90X. <laughs> now we're in the interrogation room. Changing lives. What? <laughs> Now we're in the interrogation room. Laura's telling Benson and Stabler she moved in three years ago. Vincent saw her carrying all her stuff to move in and helped her. This made me think of that Mike Birbiglia, what I should have said was nothing bit. (laughs) Yeah. Take a break. YouTube that. Come back. Yeah. After that, he was just always said was nothing. (laughs) What I did say was you'd be surprised. And after that, he was just always around. She told the detectives they were just friends. He was just so persistent and sweet and wore her down. She Mm. came home one day and he had burned her clothes because he accused her of cheating, called her a whore and started hitting her. Then he apologized and said he wouldn't do it again. So she didn't report him, but he did do it again and again and again. Taylor's oldest time. Mm. She said for two years, Vincent punished her for infidelities she never committed, and she was so glad to meet Max. But Vincent had a key to her place and would come in the middle of the night. Laura was finally strong enough to say no. She didn't leave the apartment because Max was just about to leave Peyton, and they were going to get a place together. The night Mm -hmm. Max was killed, Vincent came into her apartment and told her they could be together again because Max was dead. But then she said she didn't call the police because Vincent would find and kill her no matter where she went. He was waiting for her outside the shelter because he must have followed them there. He forced her back to the apartment and started raping her again. That's when she made it to his gun and shot him. Mm -hmm. So as this conversation's happening, Gabe jumps on board like the opening scene and she's like, this motherfucker, you know. Mm -hmm. But it was during this conversation that I was like, she has got a fucking answer for everything. And they're like, well, what about mm-hmm. this? This seems odd. And she's like, well, here's a perfectly good explanation for it. That's a little off, but you know. Yeah. Okay. So on the other side of the glass, <laughs> in the shanty. Huang's got a really puffy North Face on. Huang <laughs> says it's classic case of battered woman syndrome. Cabot said there's a hitch. Huang turns around and he's like, what? Like she was raped and beaten. What is the hitch? Mm-hmm. Like, I like that he reacts that way, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Me too. I just was like, whoa. Craigan says it's not a clear cut of self-defense because Laura shot the man that killed her lover. Mm-hmm. It could be looked at by a jury like as an act of revenge. Huang is pissed, as he should be. He says abused mm. women rarely report because they are conditioned to believe that no one will help them. And Craigan's like, all we've got is a he said, she said, he's dead. And Gabe's like, her. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Cabot tells Cragen to build a case against Vincent that would put him away for life, even if he wasn't dead. Mm. She wants to close this in good conscience. Yeah. Now in the squad room, Munch tells Cragen Vincent's prints were all over the gun. And Toots tells him that the DNA found in Laura and Peyton's rape kits match Vincent. Cragen wants them to go back to Vincent's apartment and look for more. And Munch is like, all that's left is the bow, meaning that they pretty much got it all wrapped up, you know? And Cragen's mm-hmm. like, I want you to go back over to Vincent's apartment. And Toots is like, for the bow? <laughs> he says it in such a dumb voice. For the bow? What are we going there for? Munch is like, yeah, buddy, the bow. Let's go get it. <laughs> so at Vince's some, apartment. Some mice and men shit. And he like <laughs> shoots him in the back. <laughs> so at Vince's apartment, Toots is like, I don't know what they expect us to find. CSU's already been through it with a microscope. Just then Munch, whoop, whoop. He finds a homemade VHS cassette tape in a porn sleeve Mm, jesus fucking christ he trips over it it's under a loose tile in the kitchen (laughs) it's in the tall grass on the shoreline where else have they done that uh when benson finds a closet full of condoms remember (laughs) and just like opens it oh (laughs) and see and forensics is like we just got here we didn't mean like we didn't (laughs) Let us Forensics find stuff. Pops in and How'd you find that, Munch? He's like, I don't know. She said right here on the shelf. I don't know. <laughs> Good thing I came in here. Good thing you got a fresh pair of eyes on it. Craigan's like, Good thing you took your fishing pole. <laughs> Toots is like, We found the bow. Okay. All right. So we're at Cabot's office. Laura walks in to sign her statement. So she signs it and she's like, is that it? And Cabot's like, no, actually. And presses play on a VCR. Drama. And it's like, oh my fucking God, it's her trying to convince Vincent to kill Peyton for 15K. And she's like totally wearing the pants in the situation too. Yeah. Cabot's like, you didn't know he made that video, did you? He loved you, but he didn't trust you. Yep. So first of all, I'm thinking of like, video cameras hidden video cameras in like the early 2000s is it just like a big like in the corner or like i don't know it's um, a, gr- a giant paper grocery bag and it's got a huge circle cut out of the side <laughs> like why is that grocery bag on the top corner of the ceiling because it's where <laughs> it was like pointing down at them he was only supposed to kill peyton and she was like totally using his like obsession with her to try to get him to kill for her there wasn't ever a relationship with vincent he followed her around like a puppy she said mm-hmm. he would do anything for her but he wasn't supposed to kill max so once vincent killed max he quote owned her and raped her and she couldn't call the police she's like do you know what it's like to be raped and not be able to call the police and benson's like sweetheart is because you're the one that hired him she's yeah she said it wasn't her idea she's like where do you think i got the fifteen thousand from it and who do you think hid the jewelry it was max the whole time so once peyton was dead he was going to marry her oh so now we're at peyton's house she's like how could max be with someone like that the heart attack changed him things were finally getting back to normal and he broke it off with laura when peyton found out benson's like sorry but your husband planned this you were the one that was supposed to die mm-hmm. and her face she was like Holy crap. And then I have, holy twist, I knew Laura was a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I was sitting here going like, oh, good, they're wrapping it up. Hey, don't be mad at Laura. Be mad at your fucking husband. This was him. Stop blaming other women. And you're like, Laura's a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, shit. Well, grab your tackle box. We're going to Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Right? The fishing. Okay. (laughs) This is from Canada, though. 
October 7th, 1994, a woman called police to report an abandoned car in a field near her house off Highway 169 near Tyne Valley on Prince Edward Island. Okay. Rural, small community situation. Mm -hmm. It had no plates and there were bloodstains inside. We've got ourselves a potential crime scene. Okay. Mm -hmm. Forensics called the patterns they found medium impact blood spatter, meaning that the patterns were created from someone being punched or hit with a blunt object. Okay. Oh my gosh. So they used the serial number on the car to identify the owner. It was Shirley Ann DeGuay, an itty-bitty local 32-year-old mother of five. She stood 4'9 and weighed under 100 pounds. Whoa. Yeah, itty-bitty. 32, five kids, 4'9. Mm-hmm. Her oldest was 15 and her youngest were um, two eight-year-old twins. So she had had kids you know, younger. So her father, Melvin, had been watching the kids since her disappearance four days prior, but hadn't reported her missing. The cops initially found this kind of odd, but her dad, I saw an interview with him and he's an interesting character, but the police were told that Shirley regularly would disappear for a couple days at a time and come back. So he wasn't like totally floored that she was gone. Mm -hmm. Police took her dad's DNA to ID the blood in the car. It was a familial match. So the blood in the car was for sure Shirley's, but they also found blood in the car that wasn't Shirley's. Hmm. Royal Canadian Mount Police started a huge search. They used every resource they could. Half a mile from her car, searchers found a shovel with two hairs wrapped around it matching Shirley's. Hmm. Weeks later, 15 miles from where the car was found, investigators located a plastic bag containing a pair of white sneakers and a man's leather jacket covered in blood. Shirley's blood. Whoa. Shirley's dad, Melvin, was certain from the beginning that the killer was Shirley's estranged husband, Doug Beamish. They'd been separated for a year and a half at that point, and during their 15-year relationship, Beamish had been physically abusive to Shirley. Hmm. So he gets questioned, and when he was questioned, he denied any involvement, of course, but the shoes found in the bag were his size. This was, I thought this was really interesting. They got a forensic podiatrist, Dr. Keith Bettles, to conduct a test to see if they could tell Beamish had worn those shoes, because, you know, everybody's got a unique walk pattern and how the shoes are, like, broken in and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So police took casts of his feet to compare. I've never heard of a forensic podiatrist. Uh, neither had I. Anyway, so they took casts of his feet to compare the wear patterns in the shoes. Dr. Bettles found that the wear patterns matched the way in which Beamish's feet would wear. But Beamish again denied that the shoes were his and they couldn't I mean, that was circumstantial at best, you know? Yeah. You can't just be like, you have the same feet. Yeah. You're a murderer. Like you can't. That's yeah. Right. They need more. Like it's like, oh, this is. They need the bow. They do. <laughs> and that it's coming. Bow, the huge one. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? What What is that lizard? <laughs> oh, from Jurassic Park or the yeah. dinosaur where he's like. <laughs> yeah, that. They need that. <laughs> Beamish also denied that the bloody jacket found was his, of course. In this jacket, police found little white hairs. Constable Robert Savoy was like, you guys, this dude has a white kitty named Snowball. The cops are like, is there a way that we can tell if these hairs are for sure snowballs? Because this guy's like, this isn't my jacket. There's pictures of him in this jacket and there's hairs in it that they're like, if we can connect these to him in some way, he can't deny this. And it's just a building evidence. Mm hmm. 
So Constable Savoy made hundreds of calls trying to find a place that would do DNA testing on the hair to match it to Snowball. He found instead mm-hmm. that it had never been done before anywhere in the world. So this is one of the cases that Cabot was talking about. Though. Exactly. This is the first oh. one. Then Savoy finds Dr. Stephen O'Brien, a geneticist at the National Cancer Institute in the U.S. His life's work was studying hereditary illness in cats. This guy was a freaking expert in cat DNA technology. After getting a blood sample from Snowball, Dr. O'Brien was able to get the DNA profile. Hold on. First of all, you named your white cat Snowball. Like, fuck off. You're I know. This guy's basic as shit. Also, so this DNA test that they did, it turns out that the DNA profile was a super duper clear match. Now, they had to do all this other testing with like other cats on the island because they're like, well, maybe Maybe cat DNA, it isn't the same as human DNA. Because you know how like a DNA profile is like a snowflake, but there could be another person in the world with that DNA profile. Mm -hmm. So they're like, well, maybe because it's an island, these cats are, you know, there's like inbreeding and whatever going on. So they have more like similar DNA and blah, 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 blah. They kept sending Dr. O'Brien all of this like cat blood and being like, (laughs) test this now. Let's see about this. It was all like wildly different. So Dr. O'Brien was just like living for this and came up with it being a one in 70 million match. So it was fucking snowballs hair. Okay. Seven months later. Stevie months later. (laughs) I I put a pause in my notes so that you could say it. I can't believe that you did that. I love you. (laughs) Love you. Stevie months later. On May 6, 1995. <gasps> That's three days after my birthday. Okay, here we go. A fisherman found an out-of-place pile of brush along the shoreline, so he went to check it out. And there, in a shallow grave, he found Shirley. Her hands were tied behind her back, and she had been strangled. But the cause of death was blunt force trauma. Shirley's jaw was broken, her nose was broken, and one of her teeth was embedded in her lung. Oh my God. I know. Doug Beamish was arrested and charged with murder. The unknown blood in Shirley's car was then found to be Beamish's blood. Mm. I mean, and then it all became pretty cut and dry. The cat had a lot to do with being able to tie this up. And then also it came to light that because they're like, what's his motive besides him being an abusive piece of shit? Turns out Doug had written Shirley a one page letter in blood telling her he'd kill her before he'd let her have custody of their kids. Whoa. He was tried and convicted and he was sentenced to 18 years to life in prison. This is the first time that animal DNA was used to convict a murderer. And Doug is still there. He's still in prison. So the 18 years has passed and he's petitioned to get out. And they're like, no. Yeah. I mean, the way in which she was killed was extremely violent. So I don't know how Canada does that shit, but they're yeah. like, Mm-mm. do you do you know what? Did you wrap up the snowball thing? What happened to the cat? Did he go to like family or something? Or uh, you know? Yeah, the cat, the cat went to his parents. Are you just making that up to make me feel better? No, I read that. Oh, OK, good. No, they, they, the cat legitimately went to, to uh, Doug's parents. Do you think parents. they were mean to it? Because they feel like it put his son away, their son away? No, it wasn't Snowball's fault. And I think they knew that. Good. They've known that they've had an issue with Doug for years. And they've tried to get him help, but he wouldn't listen. So, Did they try to get him help? No, I don't know. But probably. I don't fucking know. Maybe they were dicks too. Who knows? But they've oh got Snowball. God. Or they had it. Snowball's dead now. This was in 95. You never know. Cats live for a long time. Snowball was an adult cat in 1995. How many years ago was that? Oh my 30? God. This is dumb. 20, 26 years ago. 
The cat is dead, Gabe. Yeah. Just like that little mouse. Oh, my God. I was crying so hard about that. I'm it was so weird. I'm so sorry. Oh, okay. Next week on SVU Pod Especially Heinous. Season 3, Episode 6, Redemption. Stabler pairs up with a bitter cop to track a serial, serial rapist murderer who was recently released from prison. Well, that'll be something. Mm-hmm. It's a good episode. Plus, the dude's kind of hot. I'm in. We want to say thanks to our Lead Squad patrons. Yep. Haley K, Sonia W, Jenny S, Sky K, Nikki B, Marissa M, Elki H, Sarah A, Annie G, and Mary D. We fucking appreciate you guys. You are wonderful, and you're helping us grow. <laughs> you help us do this. We don't get paid. We have jobs. <laughs> it's because of you that we can do more of this. The more support we get, the more we can fucking do. And that's exciting. Yeah, this is super fun. So thank you so much. Follow us on all social media at SVU Pod. Join our Facebook group, SVU Pod Elite Squad. And check us out on Patreon. There are three different tiers. There's bonus content. There's all different kinds of Patreon exclusive shit. And we want to continue to grow that too. So hope to have you check it out. I don't know how to do stuff. Um, what else? You can email us at svupod at gmail.com. Yeah. We just reach out to us on any platform. Yeah. We like to Love hear you from you guys. Yeah. I super like when we get emails and people that say things. Yeah, me too. Hashtag little bit loud if you're a small podcast or search a little bit loud if you're looking for small indie podcasts that you want to check out and support that might not have a big voice to put themselves out there. Yeah. I really hope Snowflake had a good life. Snowball. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking whatever. You're like, oh man, I really care so much about Dave or Carl or whoever the cat was. <laughs> Well, that's it. Love you. Bye. Okay, I love you. Goodbye. (laughs) I love you. Goodbye. No, we're not getting into robot shit right now. I love you. Bye. (laughs) I'm going to go jerk off. (laughs) Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. (coughs) What do I keep sucking in? It could be a number of things. I was looking at you when I... you're, you're, You're like down here on the screen, but I really should be like looking at the camera, you know? Yeah. Um, Walter. That's his one bark for the week. <laughs> he just went right back to sleep. <laughs> Duh.